This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. This book is crucial because I'll tell you first, I once wrote a a book, a bestseller, The Power of No, and the publisher asked me, what do I want to write next? And I said, I want to write The Power of Ask because I'm horrible at it, and I'm so bad at it, I couldn't write the book. (laughs) I'm so glad I didn't write the book because you would have embarrassed me with this book because it's so solid and you give such practical techniques. But, But I have to ask, like, for me, I feel really uncomfortable asking upwards. You know, if I need something, and, and it's something that I think is a little bit hard for the other person to give, or, or it's a bigger ask than normal, I feel I can't do it. I'm just so awkward doing it. I just can't ask for anything. And I'm sure you encounter this a lot. Yeah, I think it's, it's, um, it's true for most people. It's true for me sometimes as well. We ought to refer to our negotiation colleagues here, I think. Yeah, I, well, from, I was gonna say from, uh, from, from teaching negotiations a few times, uh, I think the the biggest thing that I learned was that it's often easier to ask for advice than help. Yes, I, I actually, so as a negotiator, I always start off a negotiation asking for advice. And that, and that by the way, is in your quick start method. As that's one of the ideas in your quick start method. Right, right, that's right. And we're coming full circle. <laughs> People always ask me, like, what's a good business strategy? What's a good investment? How can I make money quickly? How can I come up with uh, ideas for a best-selling book? You know what the answer is? First, take care of your body. First, be healthy. You cannot be creative. You cannot be successful or have energy if you're not healthy. So I'm going to tell you what I do personally every day to feel fully energized. I just take athletic greens. Athletic Greens is a plant-based supplement sourced from whole foods at the highest quality. Seriously, you won't find any harmful chemicals, artificial colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, artificial sweeteners, or added sugar. Has no GMOs, herbicides, pesticides, no wheat, dairy, gluten, corn, lactose, sucrose, dextrose, egg, yeast, peanuts, or animal products. It's, It's like magic how green this is. So I'll tell you how I do it. It's really simple. I usually have a bunch of their travel packs with me and I just add water, shake and drink, done. So I really want you to try this and get all the benefits, at least experience it. Go to athleticgreens.com slash James and you can get 20 free travel packs, which is a $79 value with your first purchase. Just go to this link, athleticgreens.com slash James and claim your special offer today. It's available in the US, Canada, UK, and EU. That's athleticgreens.com slash James. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. it. All right. All right. Uh, First of all, how's the family? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, My son is just turning 18 next week almost done with high school and applying to colleges and going through that whole, I don't quite know the word for it, but it wasn't as easy as when I did it. I have two daughters. <laughs> I have two daughters turning 18 within the next two months. They're all applying to colleges. It is a drag. Now you guys are professors, but I keep telling them don't go to college. 
but that's that's a topic for another podcast. Um, how, uh, but yeah, it's hard. They're they're all stressing out. How's um Adam? How's your family? Everyone's doing pretty well. I feel like uh, you know when when we decided to have a third child, everyone told us that the zone defense would be the hardest part. <laughs> I I have a different I have a different experience now that uh, our youngest is six. I feel like the problem is more combinatorics. That when there were two kids, there was only one fight that could ever happen at once. But now we can have three different fights going at the same exact time. Not only that, with three kids, it's always two versus one, and that's like a permanent situation. <laughs> it just depends. Every morning, it's a different two. Things to look forward to. Thanks for the warning. How are yours? <laughs> uh, it's good because I got married, and so she had three kids, and I had two. So now I have five, and that's a combinatorics problem, a very complicated one because. It could be cross family. It could be female versus male. You never know where the war, where the the line's going to be drawn in the war zone. Oh well, I I have experience with that one. So uh, I'm part of a family of nine. There were four on my father's side, four on my stepmother's side, and they had a child, the ninth. So I have a half brother there. So I have stepsisters, stepbrothers. Full sisters, full brothers, and a half brother. So your therapy session takes like four hours. <laughs> or really, it gets it takes that long just to organize the chairs. Right, right. And uh, how's you're both professors? How's how are classes this year? Adam, you teaching this quarter or this semester? No, I finished in December and won't be back in the classroom till August. So I have no idea when school is even back in session. Wait, how come? <laughs> are you writing a book? Oh, I uh, I always teach only in the fall. Okay, uh, that's, that's good for you. And um, what are you doing recreationally these days? <laughs> what are your what hobbies? It's recreation. <laughs> I, Adam, um, I don't believe you have recreation because you're like constantly giving or taking. And uh, oh dear, <laughs> uh, no, um, trying to get better at asking uh, with Wayne's guidance and and yours as well. This is uh, this is I, I'm excited to be a fly on the wall for this actually, but. As far as uh, as far as free time is concerned, it's been mostly um, ultimate frisbee reading and uh, lots of video games with our kids. But when you read, though, because and both of you, when you read, because you're constantly doing research for the next book, do you feel like it's not fun unless it's like moving you forward in terms of progress for your next book? Like, what do you read for fun? I have, I read, I have this uh, issue as well. Yeah, so I for fun, I'm a I've been a science fiction junkie since I was about 12 years old. And uh, I've always got a couple of books going and uh, always looking for new stuff, but it's like, you know, some people like murder mysteries, um, you know, other types of books, other genres, but for me it's science fiction. I and 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 uh for for me too, and lately I've been getting into a lot of these uh Chinese science fiction authors that are just being translated over here like uh, the Three Body Problem or the paper menagerie, the books like that. Yeah, yeah, I've read that. The Dark Forest, the whole thing. That was a great series. Yeah, yeah, it was brilliant. And then, Adam, what do you read for fun? You like a Jack Reacher fan? So I uh, I also read a lot of sci-fi. I just read the Unwind Dystology, which was totally fascinating. What, what, and, who wrote um, that? Uh, I think Neil Shusterman, if I remember correctly. Uh, I also love the Magicians trilogy and, uh, yeah, oh, I, I read Grossman, plenty of like, like that. Yeah. So well done. Uh, but I read a lot of spy novels too. Uh, I was, I was like trying to figure out a mystery. 
<laughs> I what spy novels? I I don't re- I haven't read a spy novel actually. I I would like to. So, what do you if recommend? I were going to start with something that's not necessarily that well known, it would be The Zero Hour by Joseph Finder. Oh yeah, I've I thought read, it was incredible. I've read one of his books a long time ago, like his first book. I thought it was really good, and I haven't read anything since. Do you ever uh, feel? I, I thought it was his best, and then if you haven't done I Am Pil- uh, Pilgrim yet by Terry Hayes, it is uh, an unbelievably good thriller. And then finally, we're 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 about to start talking about asking, and Wayne, your advice is is brilliant. This is going to be such a valuable podcast, maybe the most valuable ever. And then we're going to talk about. The, the business you guys started revolving around how to ask, but is this, when you, when you start the day, what, what do you dream for? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you hope for in, in, in all of this? Like Wayne, you, you, you're about to publish a book or you just published the book by the time this podcast comes out. What's, what are your dreams right now? Oh, that's, it's nice of you to ask. Well, you know, the, I'm sort of uh, so I'm considerably older than Adam and I'm sort of in the last stage of my career. And, I really would like to make a positive difference in people's lives. And I find that, I mean, I've, the book is really a culmination of work over many different years, uh, many different projects, work I've done with Adam and, and others. And um, I've seen that when people apply the lessons of the book, it really makes a big difference in their lives, their careers, and their families. And so I want to get the message out as wide as possible um, so that uh, as many people can benefit from it. Well, it's 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 so... I have to tell you a story, but first, this book is so valuable and some of the specific techniques I am so glad you wrote about. I am the worst at asking people for help in the universe. And this book, the techniques you describe, which we're going to talk about, is going to help me so much. I, Of course, I just did one of the techniques, which was your Ford technique, asking about right. family, <laughs> occupation, um, recreation, and dreams to just to kind of, you know, uh, get, get things flowing because sometimes people are hard to talk to, but it it feels a little bit artificial going like in order like that. And sometimes people don't necessarily want to talk about some of these things, but you guys did very good. You played along very nicely. Yeah. Well, no, you did it so, uh, professionally and smoothly. I didn't even recognize that that's what you were doing. Really? I thought it was, (laughs) I thought it was too obvious. Adam, you recognize what I was doing, right? I, I didn't recognize it, but I was a little curious about uh, why you were asking us random questions that had nothing to do with the podcast. And then I thought, okay, wh- why do I do this when I'm interviewing someone? And the answer is, oh, I want to warm people up, maybe build rapport a little bit. So this I just is, assumed you were being friendly. That, I, that is I, the, I stand corrected. That is the chapter that Wayne wrote about warming people up. <laughs> Don't you guys read yeah. your own books? <laughs> <laughs> I do, but there's a lot of words in there to remember. I, I, yeah, sometimes after I finish a book I com- and then I'm interviewed about it, I completely forget the co- entire contents of the book because you kind of like throw everything into it and then mentally you're exhausted and it's no longer in your, your short-term RAM anymore and it hasn't had the chance to go into your ROM. And I just forget everything. People say, well, what's your advice for the book? And I'm like, I have, did I just write a book? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> But um, you know, your 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 book is I'm gonna I'm gonna read the title because I always forget this. Um, all you have to do is ask how to most how to master the most important skill for success. This is Wayne Baker, uh, and and Adam, you wrote uh, the forward. Am I correct? I forget. 
or your or your kind of a, a blurb at the top. Your blurb at the at the top on the back. But this this book is crucial because I'll tell you first. I once wrote a, a book, a bestseller, The Power of No, and the publisher asked me, what do I want to write next? And I said, I want to write The Power of Ask because I'm horrible at it. And and I'm so bad at it, I couldn't write the book. <laughs> like, I just, I'm so glad I didn't write the book because you would have embarrassed me with this book because it's so solid and you give such practical techniques. But But I have to ask, like, for me, I feel really uncomfortable asking upwards. So if someone is, you know, if I need something, I feel really, and, and it's something that I think is a little bit hard for the other person to give, or, or it's a big, a bigger ask than normal. I feel I can't do it. I'm just so awkward doing it. I like, let's say I just publish a book and I go to, I don't know, the number one podcast in the world. And I said, Hey, you know, this will be fun for you to talk about your, your listeners would love this. Well, I can't ask that. I just can't ask for anything. And I'm sure you encounter this a lot. Yeah, I think it's it's um, it's true for most people. It's true for me sometimes as well, you know. But if you take that example that you finished a book and you want to get it on the number one podcast, is that podcaster is also looking for really good guests to have and books to talk about, you know. So in a way, you have to realize that you're also giving something to that person. You may be asking to be considered to be on their program, but you're also giving them the material and the, and the guests that they need, you know, that's like both sides are, are necessary. Maybe it's helpful to remind yourself of that. Or if you think of what is that, that higher purpose or higher good that you're serving, um, that maybe it's not just about you, but it's about getting the message out, making a difference in people's lives. I think, you know, if you kind of go through that intentionality before asking, um, it can help to, really be clear about why you're asking and the motivations uh, behind it and the, why it's meaningful. And I think that can make a difference. Well, well, I always, and, and by the way, what you just said, we could go directly into the method of accomplishing what you just said, which kind of overcomes that objection that I'm about to say, which is I sort of, so the first objection I have to what you say is I rationalize not asking by saying, oh, a thousand, 10,000 people are asking for X, Y, or Z. I'm just going to be one in a crowd asking removes power from me, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm afraid to do that. I'll, I'll lose too much status in my own eyes or maybe in the eyes of others. And I just, I just have a hard time. It's like, I don't have the inner, the inner frame, the inner confidence to, to do the, the big ask. Well, you know, I think it's a, it's a habit. You know, it takes uh, what I found when I, one of my motivations for writing the book uh, was that I had learned over time that just kind of educating people or increasing awareness about it wasn't enough, that you also have to give uh, an answer to the how-to. You have to say, what are the tools? What are the practices? Very specifically, what can you do? So the book is very tool-focused, very practice-focused, because I really wanted to say, okay, well, here's how to do it. Here's ways in which all these other kinds of people have done it and teams have done it. Take some of those and run an experiment. You know, try it out. Try it out in a safe place. Um, maybe that's at home or with friends or in a community rather than at work. Uh, but you know, I think over time we, we become better at it, like like any habit. That's a great idea to uh, experiment in safe places. So, let, so let's go over one of the methods. Um, I mean, you, you, we're we're going to go over a bunch of methods in here, and and also I want to go back and forth to different definitions you have, and and some of this relates 
um, to Adam's excellent book, uh, which he was on the podcast several years about called Give and Take. You talk about overly generous givers and you talk about selfish takers who sometimes ask too much. Oh, so yeah, before we get to a technique, I have one question about that. Sometimes people say to me, sometimes people do have a big ask to me towards me. And, and then they say, and I say no. And then they say, oh, well, it doesn't hurt to ask. I don't like that phrase. It doesn't hurt to ask. Sometimes it does hurt another person to ask because right. if you ask for too much and you show me, you haven't respected my time or my agenda, I don't really, you, you go down a level in my book. And so that's the problem I also have with asking is I don't want to go. I don't want to, I, I never want to feel like um crossing a line. I never want to say it doesn't hurt to ask because sometimes it does. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, people are a little vulnerable when they ask um, and uh, getting rejected is often, you know, that's no fun, you know, but a request is not a demand. The request is simply that it's a request. And I think, um, you know, I think if you get turned down, there's information in that you could learn. It's like sometimes just following up and I write a little bit about this, following up with the why to, uh, to the denial can sometimes be a way in which people can learn. Uh, to make a better ask the next time or but, but, but what to I'm, figure out something. So, sorry for interrupting, but what I'm saying is as sometimes when I'm the person being asked and then they, and, and I say no, and they say, they say something like, oh, it, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask. Sometimes I think to myself, it did hurt them just now to ask me. And it's yes. perhaps it's because when I was reading your book, I realized it's perhaps it's because they're not using even instinctively some of the tools you you write about in this book, which I think are necessary, but but maybe talk about when it does actually hurt a person to ask before we get into how to ask. Yeah, so I don't, maybe we need to think a little bit more about in what ways does it hurt to ask when like, people say it doesn't hurt to ask? Well, it hurts It hurts them if, if I can see very clearly that they're not respecting my time or my agenda. Uh, in life. They're not thinking about what my purposes and, and interests and agendas are. And they're just thinking about theirs and they ask. And then, and then again, so, something about the fact that they then say it doesn't hurt to ask. I always think to myself, it actually did just hurt you to ask because you went lower in my estimation of you. So you think they, they hurt their reputation and they also damaged their relationship with you? Yes, because I, I felt very strongly that they didn't take into account at a basic level, what my agenda might've been in, in life. Like we should all take into account each other's agendas to some extent. Gotcha. I was thinking about it from the other way that the person making the ask, does it hurt them? Yeah. It, and, and, it, and it does hurt them if in the it, sense that it hurts them internally, or at least it, it, um, they feel hmm. like they're taking a risk. Right. So, so right. In that sense, it might not hurt them because they justify it by saying it doesn't hurt to ask. So they think they're da the damage to them is, is minimal. But in fact, they don't realize they might have lost status or or respect from me. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you know, Adam, the way you put it, I think is perfect. So what is it then that that causes that loss of respect or, you know, the damage to social capital? It it seems like, James, at the heart of your your reaction is a sense that, you know, people the I mean, the I guess the basic thing I took away from from your frustration is you don't want somebody to be asking in a way that seems purely selfish. Exactly. Uh, or that makes you feel used. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to be dealing with what you would call a selfish taker. I'm fine. If someone says, Hey, I've got a great, 
book I'm really proud of. Um, you know, I listened to your podcast, ABC, that seems similar, and this is kind of a, a unique enhancement on what they were saying. Um, I'm happy to, you know, stop by anytime, you know, when you have free time. Like, if I don't know them and they're kind of introducing themselves and asking, then it seems like, okay, they're, they've thought about the ask. But if they just say, hey, I, I just wrote a, a book about, you know, flowers, which you, you may or may not be interested in. Can I come on your podcast and talk about it? Because I really want to get sell a lot of books. Then, and then I say no. And then they say, okay, well, it didn't hurt to ask. Actually, it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep, I definitely see that. Unless, of course, James, their goal was to damage their relationship with you, in which case it's been a smashing success. <laughs> yes. And, you know, by the way, sometimes people do that thinking if they're not going to say yes to this, then I don't care. So, like, they, they might not worry about their rela uh, relationship. Oh, so it's a test. Yeah, it could be. And, um, you know, or if someone's willing to kind of do a Hail Mary, like, I've talked to him before. This is the last time I'm going to try and then screw it. So, you know, sometimes someone could be a selfish taker on purpose. Yeah, or it could be that they're um, they're fishing and they're casting lots of lines, hoping they're going to catch a fish somewhere. Yeah, and like, look, sometimes on the on the flip side is sometimes the asker, like you said, has to be okay with a no and has to and and has to understand the other person's agenda. You have to learn from it. Why do the person say no? And Adam, I'll I'll give this an example. So uh, you've come on the podcast a couple of times. After one of your books, you were just busy. I asked if you wanted to come on and I understood it. You, 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 you couldn't do it. And, uh, but I, but I knew it and, and it was no problem because, uh, you know, I understood you probably were at, this was the, I think this was after option B, you were probably being asked to go on thousands of podcasts and I got it. Like I understood and it was no problem. It wasn't an issue. I didn't think to myself like, Oh, well screw him. Like, there's never a problem because when people understand each other's agendas, you could, you could handle both sides of it much more easily. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you weren't offended. Thank you. I, I still feel guilty. Uh, yeah. I was just, I was <laughs> no, just no, in no, the no, 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 guilty. I really am, am sincere. <laughs> I understand your, uh, after give and take, you must've been inundated with, with people saying, oh, well you're Mr. Give, right? So you got to come on my podcast. Uh, it's, it, it was, it was quite a trap. Uh, and yeah, I mean, there's a huge difference between, I only realized much later, between saying, look, I enjoy being helpful and I want to operate that way as my default in the world and saying, therefore, everyone who wants my help is entitled to it. Uh, and that, you know, that, that boundary became increasingly important. But also, James, it's really interesting the way that you made that invitation because you were, from my perspective, um, you were offering to help me. Right. Well, that, so that's how I always. I, I didn't feel like I was hurting you. Right. I just I was like, oh my gosh, I I can't I can't handle any more, and so, you know, hopefully James won't be offended that I didn't take him up on his generous offer this time. No. Yeah. And 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 you're right. So so and this this is gonna we're gonna segue into um, Wayne's specific methods off of this, but uh, I always am trying to think what's the other person's agenda so I can incorporate that into the ask. So. When someone has a book that comes out and I admire the person and I admire the book and 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 everything else, uh, I, I will say, hey, I would love to help to help you with the book and to and this is a topic personal to me. Would be great to come on the podcast. And then okay, they say no, they say no, but at least I'm thinking of their agenda and 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 vice versa. And then if there's if there's no is if there's a no, it's probably there's a reasonable reason so I could learn from it. And I did learn from it. And and I, I look, I get. 
I, I, I have about a 20 to one ratio, even though I have a very popular podcast, I have about a 20 to one ratio of asks to guests. And, uh, uh, but I always try to figure out the other person's agenda, which leads me to, uh, you know, Wayne or, or should I call you Wayne or Dr. Baker, or, you know, you're a professor at university of Michigan. No, no, Wayne, please. Well, so Wayne, you have this great method. We're going to talk about the, the smart method, which is your, the kind of, uh, one of your, your, um, very formal ways of thinking about asking, but you start off with this quick start method of how to ask. And I really love this. I'm going to start incorporating this into my life. I think intuitively I try to do this, but I think the fact that you formalize it helps put a structure around it, which will gives me a little bit more confident comp. Maybe will give me a little bit more confidence asking in difficult situations for things. This is such an important topic for, for success, but maybe we could start with the quick start method, uh, uh, of asking you, do you want to, do you want to start off with this method is, and then I have some questions. Sure. So there are, there are three main methods. Um, one is the quick start. And as it's named, it is a quick uh, and effective one to do. There's um, goal articulation, which is a little bit more involved. And then finally, there's positive futuring or visioning, which takes longer. Uh, the quick start, I always recommend uh, to begin with. Uh, in fact, some people have been taking it and starting each morning uh, answering one of those one of those sentences. And as you know from the book, uh, it's sentences that need to be completed, and there's always two parts to it. So it could be, for example, I'm currently working on and I need to, you know, people would fill in those blanks, or my biggest hope is and I would benefit from. So people go through and, and they fill in those two blanks at each of those five sentences. It gives them a really good idea of what they're trying to accomplish and why and the resource that they need. So with this method and then your, your second one, you know, kind of step two is articulating your goals. So maybe, maybe describe an example of that. And then I have a question about these first two methods. Yeah. So the, the goal articulation or goal setting method uh, takes a little bit longer, um, but it essentially involves thinking about different domains of your life. So it could be work, family, a spirituality, religion, health, and fitness, and to think intentionally about what am I trying to accomplish here? in one of these areas. It's okay, well, given that I need to accomplish that, what kind of help do I need? What kind of resources do I need? What would help me be better at actually achieving that that particular goal? And then you can go from there to figure out how to ask the question using the SMART criteria, which we'll be getting into. So essentially that's it, but it's that more, it takes a little bit longer to do the goal setting, goal articulation method. Um, It's a little bit more comprehensive uh, than the quick start method. And, you know, I advocate using using both. And then finally, the third one, which is visioning, uh, which is creating or painting a, a picture of your positive future in vivid detail of, you know, say five years from now, what do you want your life to be? And describe it as if we went forward in a time machine and we were visiting you and you were telling us about all the great stuff around you and your life and your family at work and your community, your career. Uh, all the evidence of what had been accomplished. And then you start working backwards from there. Well, given if that's my vision five years from now, my positive future, but what do I need to work on now? What would be goals for me now in say the first six months or the first year? Right. So, you know, it's interesting because I feel like these methods work really, and we'll talk about kind of, you know, breaking down the articulating your goals with the the smart method in a second. Um, Cause I think that's really a valuable part of that. But I feel like, 
on the one hand, these are not quite easy, but these are very reasonable methods when everybody's kind of has more or less the same status in a hierarchy. So if you're all on a team at work or this is a Facebook community of people with common interests, you know, and you talk about using social media to kind of ask for, for help, uh, which I think is a great method as well. And I've, I've used that technique as well. Um, how do, how does it fit in if you're kind of asking up or asking down? So asking up is the harder one. Like, let's, let's just take a simple example. You're asking your, your boss for a raise and you decide to use the, the, uh, uh, the quick start method. Like you might say you're number five here. You know, my biggest hope is to really accomplish big things for you over the next year. Like I'm really, really excited about the work we're doing, but I need, uh, $2,000 more per year because I just had a kid and it has costs and I don't want to have to go for another job and blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's, that's scary asking upwards for a lot of people. I think it depends. Uh, there's two parts there. One is that there seemed to be a request related to the work that they were doing for the, you know, for the boss and for the company. The other was this, this other side, I, and I want to get a raise. I don't think I would ever connect those two in the same session in the same, uh, in the same request, because then it really sounds like if you do this for me, then mm. I'll do that for you. Um, I would always begin with what is the, you know, what's the higher purpose here? What is the, you know, you know, what is the superordinate goal of the organization? What What is my boss trying to accomplish? What am I trying to accomplish? And how can that be connected to what's important to my boss and what's important to the organization? That's part of the meaningful part of, the, of, a, of a request that you should explain why it's meaningful. And in a company or an organizational context, it's meaningful for you, but it's also meaningful for the people you're working with, such as your boss who has objectives, who has goals and meaningful for the organization as well. And if you could say how you're serving all three of those, um, then it becomes almost impossible. Uh, there might be some constraints, but almost impossible for um, for your boss to supply the resources that you need. You know, the boss is dependent on you as well to do your job. Mm. And the better you do your job, the better your boss is going to to look and be able to to meet his or her objectives. So, so, so if you were using something similar to the quick start method, and then we can also get to the articulating your, your goals method, uh, and then the vision method, what, what, uh, how would you ask? And this is obviously the, like a basic one, but how would you ask for a raise? Everyone has a different idea of what it means to optimize your health. So I go with my experience. The truth is there's no such thing as the perfect diet. I have learned that across 500 podcasts with peak performers, everyone's got a different diet, but they all eat healthy. What's good for me is athletic greens. Trust me. I've interviewed, I don't know, everybody from Rich Roll, Dr. Oz, Sanjeev Chopra, Jocko Willink, Jesse Itzler, Tim Ferriss, so many health experts. So you have to find what's good for you. And here's what I really like about Athletic Greens. I feel like I'm outsourcing my health to them. And I am a big believer in outsourcing everything in my life to as many people and institutions as possible. The people of Athletic Greens have spent 10 years working with doctors, nutritionists, and naturopaths, and they continue to optimize their formula based on new science and discoveries. 
I've got 75 whole food sourced ingredients in my body once I have a single glass of Athletic Greens. I feel good, I'm energized, and I can go onto my idea list for the day or a podcast or writing or whatever else I'm doing. So here's what I did. I set up a deal for the listeners of this podcast because I'm really into this. Go to athleticgreens.com slash James and you can get 20 free travel packs, which is a $79 value with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash James and claim your special offer today. Available in the US, Canada, UK, and EU. That's athleticgreens.com slash James. How would I ask for a raise? You know, so this is so context specific. Yeah, just make up a context. Yeah. All right. So when was the last time they asked for a raise? You know, Adam, in our world, that's kind of an odd thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like you're 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 asking for somebody to uh, to give you a whole bunch of extra committees to join along the way. That's right. That's right. And, or or other classes to teach. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but let's just say like it's in some corporate hierarchy. There's a VP of marketing who works for a senior VP of marketing and, you know, sales are up and businesses, you know, going along and now the VP wants to make some more money. Yeah. Um, again, it is so context specific, but I guess, I guess if it, it just seems, it just seems so naked and blank to say that, okay, I need to make more money, right? I need to be paid more. I would really focus on the value that's being created by what you do and the worth of that uh, if there's a justification for a raise. I guess another consideration would be comparisons to what other people are making, a sense of fairness and equity uh, in the pay that you have, or maybe even appeal to what the, the going rate is in the market. You know, I know in our world, in our academic world, that um, we're always marking to market, it's called, which is, you know, they figure out, you know, what's, you know, what's a going rate for uh, professors of certain, you know, years of service and productivity and so forth. And then kind of, you know, then how do you adjust salaries accordingly? So that's a formula that is used in the system itself. Adam, what, do you have any ideas here about what's the best way? We ought to refer to our negotiation colleagues here, I think. Yeah, I, well, from I was going to say from, uh, from, from teaching negotiations a few times, uh, I think the, the biggest thing that I learned was that it's often easier to ask for advice than help. Yes, I, I actually, so as a negotiator, I always start off a negotiation asking for advice. And, th and that, by the way, is in your quick start method. As that's one of the ideas in your quick start method. Right. Right, that's right. And we're coming full circle. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's not that difficult to, you know, to go to a, a senior person who might be a mentor or a sponsor of yours and say, look, here's, you know, here's my goal. Uh, here's why I think my, my work is, you know, is worth this based on what Wayne was describing. And, you know, I'd really, you know, I value your expertise and your experience on how to get things done in this organization. How would you go about approaching this if you were in my shoes? And, you know, best case scenario, that person steps up and becomes your advocate, which some of the research suggests is, is a common response. Um, worst case scenario, you get some good suggestions and, and maybe some additional people to talk to, and you're able to approach the ask with a little bit more clarity and thought than you did before. Yeah, and I guess when you're asking for advice, you're giving some status to them as well. So they don't want to lose status with you, so they want to give you good advice which might imply giving you a raise if they're actually your direct boss. 
Not, not only that, there's also some evidence that uh, it actually makes you look smart because, you know, look, you had you had the wisdom to come to me. You're a genius. Right? <laughs> so uh, I think, you know, it's a little bit different when it's, when it's a request for help uh, than you are in some ways putting yourself in a more subordinate position. But I, I have to tell you, James, that I, you know, I, I think that some of these skills are very squarely in the the knowing doing gap realm, mm. where you know if you sat down and and asked people, okay, what what do you need to to be able to do to ask effectively? A lot of people would would come up with with some of these answers uh, if they had enough time to think. Um, but the problem is when we're actually in the situation, we forget to apply them, and that's been for me one of the biggest takeaways about learning from Wayne over the past decade and a half is. Uh, you know, there's a there's a line that was going around when I when I first started grad school at Michigan, which was that you know we we would all be more successful if only we could think as clearly for a day as Wayne does every day. And I, I think he has this um, this wonderful gift for you know for taking ideas that maybe you've already put into action yourself, but not really articulated and not put into a framework and organizing them for you so you can actually use them thoughtfully and consistently. And I think that that's what, it's that, to me, that's part of the value of, of a book like this is to maybe take what people might do on their best day or in their most reflective moments and make that common practice. I, you know, it's so interesting you say that because I find with a lot of, um, not a lot of books, but with books like this, that part of the benefit is you might read some of these techniques and say, oh yeah, I kind of do that. Or I, I remember a situation where I intuitively do that but kind of formalizing it and putting words to it and putting structure to it, making it an actual tool in a toolbox becomes incredibly useful because it allows you to say, okay, now I'm going to use this tool from the toolbox instead of just winging it instinctively where you might either succeed or fail or whatever. I think that's the benefit of a book like this, where you're giving such accurate and, 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 you know, worthwhile tools for, for how to ask. I think it's also helpful um, when you know that there are tools that work and you know they work because other places, other people have used them. Um, uh, we have a colleague, uh, Bob Quinn, who says if it's, if it's real, it's possible, which means that if it works someplace, then it's real. You might have to adapt it to make it work for you, but to know that there's a tool or a practice that is effective in the workplace or in one's life, I mean that's helpful to know that to know that it that it can work and it can work for you too. So so let's let's look at articulating your goals because that's where your your smart process comes in as well. Uh, I think that's really good as well. I think a lot of times people don't they just ask for something, but they don't quite they don't quite define the parameters of what they're asking, like the the timeline for it, the metric for success if the ask was met, and 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 so on. Maybe. Maybe describe this a little more. I don't know if you have a specific example or, I mean, you have an example in the book, you have a couple examples, but maybe maybe describe articulating your goals a little more because I think this is very, this is the, the, the meat of, of a lot of these uh, chapters. Yeah, we developed the SMART criteria because we found that people needed a little help with making an effective request. And so if you think about the SMART criteria in advance, you have to be intentional and have to really think through what you're asking for and why. So we can quickly go through each of those. Now, SMART has a traditional definition and a couple of those those letters I define differently, uh, but the S is for specific. Uh, and we found over time 
using some of the tools like the reciprocity ring in the book is that a specific request triggers people's memories of what they know and who they know. Oftentimes people think, well, I'll make a general request because I'll be casting a wide net, but we have found that general requests don't get much help. It's the very specific ones that do. Uh, the M, and this differs from the traditional definition oh, of I, M. So, sorry, yeah. Wayne, can I ask you, can you describe uh, what's an example specific request versus a too general request? <laughs> I can give you the most general request I ever heard was from an executive from the Netherlands who was uh, uh, participating in one of our executive education programs and I was using some of the tools from the book. And uh, he said, "My re and I went through the criteria and everything, but he said, my request is for information. <laughs> and yeah, so I, I kind of looked at him and I blinked and I said, could you elaborate? And he says, no, it's confidential. <laughs> so I see. And so it was like, so that's the most general request I ever heard. Of course, he got absolutely no help because people didn't know. It. He actually was very generous. He helped a lot of people. Um, but, you know, that's that's the most general I ever heard. But And the most specific, well, no, I've heard many, many specific ones. But one for me is that, um, so my wife, Cheryl, and I are, this year is our 30th uh, year of, of marriage. Uh, so this goes back, thank you, this goes back uh, 20 years when we just uh, created the reciprocity ring. And um, I had made a near fatal mistake um, coming up on our 10th wedding anniversary when I asked Cheryl what she wanted to do to celebrate because number 10 was a big milestone. And, um, and without a moment's hesitation, she said, I want us to be on Emerald Live in New York City to celebrate our 10th wedding anniversary. And so, you know, Emerald Lagasse, the BAM chef, yeah. right? You know, um, you know, very popular for many, many years. And we were, we're real fans. We used to watch the show and um, we tried to get tickets. It was almost, it was like impossible, but I had an opportunity to make that a very specific request, which is that, look, here's the date of my 10th wedding anniversary. I don't plan on having two 10th wedding anniversaries. So this is the only one. And, you know, I made that request to a, to a group of students and explained why it was important and so forth. And one thing led to another where we got an introduction to a, a producer in New York and I could go into all the details, but one thing led to another. We were Emerald's guest, guest on Good Morning. I mean, uh, we met him on Good Morning America. That was the producer. Um, he gave us two tickets to go across town for a filming of uh, the Food Network show of, of um, uh, you know, the one that he was really famous for, Emerald Live. And to make it even better, it was the week of our anniversary and they were filming Valentine's Day, which I didn't know in advance. And to make it, I could even go one step further, which I had, um, we didn't have much money when we got married and my wife never got a wedding ring. So I had a secret one in my pocket and they mm -hmm. permitted me to give her the ring on air. And it was this totally magical experience. And I remember the whole place erupted in applause and we kind of spilled out into an alleyway in, in New York and people came up and they said, how did they find you? And I said, we found them. And that, and then they really looked and didn't know what we were talking about, but it was through making a request, saying why it was important, super specific. Um, and then the generosity of our students made it happen. And also now, meaningful. It's the 10th year anniversary, you know, with your wife. So yeah. Yeah, and that you know this this one student, um, they were married, the one that made the connection. Um, but you know, students were married; they knew about anniversaries. They remembered their parents' significant anniversaries, so um, it was it was very meaningful, and certainly action oriented. I have to jump in on this 
because I I remember well I remember seeing the video uh, when I was first introduced to the reciprocity ring, and I remember hearing Wayne. You can tell me if this is true or not. That uh, when you would run these exercises where all your students would make requests and and try to help one another, that sometimes they would ask you to make a request and you always refused. I did. You know, I'd refuse. And to be totally honest, now looking back, it was because it was hard for me to make a request. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to stay in the the powerful position, right? Not really revealing what I might need. Uh, I have since overcome that many many years ago. And uh, yes, yeah, so that was a breakthrough for me too, because it was um, it was actually my wife's assistant who was one of our MBA graduates um, had suggested to me. She said, "You know, you're going to run this program for the students." Why don't you make a request? And I said, no, 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 I can't. I'm the instructor. And she said, no, make a request. You know what Cheryl really wants. And so with that, um, it was that kind of gave me the, 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 I guess, the courage to actually make that request. And it was very early on in the reciprocity ring. So I didn't yet have the experience that miracles happen when people ask. Um, and so, yeah, like six people came forward. And a funny one was that somebody knew somebody who was dating Emerald's daughter, which was true, but it was also true that they broke up. Uh, but there was one connection that because, because Because he made that ask to Emerald's daughter, he said, I got this professor who who, <laughs> who wants to go to Emerald Live, and the daughter just like, how could you take advantage of me like that? We're breaking up. So you you <laughs> caused, you, you saved your own relationship at the cost of, of that poor soul who, who you asked. <laughs> you know, I, I feel bad. I didn't realize that until now. <laughs> You know, but what's interesting, though, too, is let's look at your SMART criteria. So it was specific. It was meaningful because not necessarily because you were married, but because you were going to get your divorce if, you're, you didn't, if you didn't satisfy your wife's need here. It was action-oriented. You needed tickets. It was realistic because it's not like you were asking for a trip to Mars. You were asking to go to a TV show. And it was time-bound. There was a specific date. That was the, and that's your S-M-A-R-T. It's your SMART. And I think then it's people can wrap their heads around it and figure out if they, if in their network or in their toolkit of things they can provide it's very specific it's all these things so they know yes or no right away whether they can do it and whether and how easy it is to either help or not help yep absolutely and you know of those five criteria there's two that are often uh, neglected it's the m and the t the meaningful part and the time bound part so part of what when we use some of these tools and even though i'll go through all of this and i'll give examples when people are actually making requests, they'll often not say why it's important, why it's meaningful, or give a deadline or an extremely vague or, or general deadline. Um, but you know, with a little bit of coaching, then people kind of get into the into the swing of it and will and realize that they need to do that. And you know, it's the meaningful part that really motivates people. I think uh, to respond, it's an emotional connection, and time is also a motivator. If you say, "I need something," oh, sometime in 2020 that's not as motivating as saying, look, I really need it next week and here's why I need it next week. That urgency will motivate people to respond. And, you know, there's another thing there too, which is you asked your network, your collective, this collective body of people who were willing to, you knew were going to be willing to respond to you. Uh, so I think, I think the network effect there is very important. Absolutely. And sometimes um, we limit ourselves to our immediate circle, maybe our inner circle, and we figure we need to know who has the answer, who has the resource. Um, and that can be effective, but it's also very limiting. So oftentimes it's out there and somebody doesn't know where it is. You don't know where it is, but you know to, who to ask who might know, 
I call it the two degree or the two step method. Um, so I have a colleague of mine, Adam uh, Adams as well, Jeff DeGraff, who uses this all the time um, where he'll say, you know, we're trying to help some innovator get some resources. And I don't know who has those resources, but I know who to ask who knows who has those resources. So There's two degrees of separation. Uh, he told me he actually used that 180 times in one year with incredible effectiveness. Another is that you can broadcast a request to a group. Uh, you could do that through, say, LinkedIn, or maybe there's a company intranet, or it's Slack or Yammer or something else. Uh, could be the the Givitas technology that Adam and I have had ha have had a hand in developing. But oftentimes, asking a group can be really effective. Because what? I'm, so let's say another way I can illustrate the uh, the network effect is, you know, James, if if you ask me an accounting question. You might think, you know, does Wayne know anything about accounting? The answer is not very much. So you wouldn't normally ask me, but I know lots of uh, world-class uh, accountants, and Adam knows lots of world-class accountants. Uh, I'm sure so your parties are really fun. Yeah, they're really fun. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I'm not sure we invite them to our parties, but we know them. You know, we don't seem to get invited to theirs either. Maybe they don't throw <laughs> parties. I don't know. There's some reciprocity going on there, I yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the thing is, is that, you know, the thing is that, you know, if I'm trying to figure out, in fact, you know, a boss often makes this mistake uh, when they hire someone, they'll say, after the hire said, well, you know, you know, how can I help you? And that puts a huge burden on the other person because mm. they have to figure out, okay, what do I need? What are my goals? What would I ask for? What does this person know? Who do they know? It's impossible to figure all that out. So a much more effective question that a, that a boss or a leader can ask is, what do you need? Right, because like I say, and when they learn, I say, well, maybe I can't help you, but I, I have a big network and I know someone who can. Uh, I've even advised some people to say with a new hire, say, well, what do you need? And the answer might be in the beginning, um, I'm not sure, or I don't know right now. To say, okay, well, think about it. I'll circle back in two weeks and ask you again. Well, that puts the new hire on notice that they've really got to be thinking about their job, what they're trying to accomplish, um, think what the goals are, what they might need, and within two weeks, I can guarantee you they're gonna have a really good request. Uh, that they can post to their boss. Uh, you know, there's so many interesting things to to unpack with with what you just said. But also, I want to address what Adam said about you, which is that, and, and you acknowledged, which is that initially you were afraid to ask your group. And again, it's it's ask is so much related to kind of your status within a group, or at least superficially, it seems that way. And I think, you know, part part of the maybe part of the reasons you wanted to write a book about ask is because perhaps it was difficult in some ways for you and you had to kind of learn how to overcome that and learning created, gave you the knowledge of how to formalize this and, and study it and, and write a book on it. But, uh, you know, th there is something to be said about people want to help you. And sometimes you're doing them a favor when you ask and they're, and they, and it looked in this situation with your wife, they were happy to help you and, and create this story for you. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, that, that people, I think there's two kinds of positive emotions involved in uh, giving and getting help. One, of course, is the what economists call the warm glow of giving, um, that it, it, it feels good to give to someone, to help someone else. But there's also gratitude for help received. That's the other, that's the other emotion uh, that people have, the other positive emotion. Uh, and there's some research that I've done with uh, Nat Buckley where we found that Gratitude for help received is one of the big motivators for paying it forward and helping somebody else. Mm. Yeah, so that in that there's always there's always two parties to every 
exchange or every request. And, and in this case, there's two positive emotions. There's the warm glow of giving and gratitude for help received. You know, and, and the other thing I was just thinking about what you said is that there's a strong link between ask, asking and honesty or, or lying, depending on how you look at it. So you asked the, in the, in the situation where the boss asked the employee, what do you need? And the employee says, I'm not sure. Or the employee might say nothing. And then the boss says, well, I'm going to check back with you in two weeks. If you think about it, almost every lie probably is coupled with an ask with an ask. Like if you, if you say, Hey, where were you last night? Nowhere. They, they would not have, they would not, they would have not have lied if you hadn't asked. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, as part of what you said, well, I'm going to check back with you in two weeks, you know, and in this case, the boss has status. So the employee has to come up with something. It's kind of a way of getting over, you know, a, a lot of lying has to do not just with like being some sort of pathological liar, but maybe a fear. Oh, if the, if the employee might think if I admit I need something, maybe I'm not good enough to be an employee here. So there, a lot of lying comes from fear and the boss is sort of not only putting on notice that I'm going to ask this again, but Hey, that it's okay to answer this in an honest way. That's right. And the boss is also starting to establish the norm of asking. Hmm. In fact, you know, I would say that, you know, the, the manager, the superior, their boss, should be a role model of the behavior that they want, that they need to request, they need to ask. Um, so I, I was talking um, to a group of cardiovascular surgeons and I was telling them some of the stories and one of the surgeons came up afterwards and he said, you know, he said, I finally figured out when I was, you know, a new surgeon, uh, very unsure of myself, which didn't sound good for a surgeon to me, but he said, <laughs> I was very unsure of myself and, he said there was this much older surgeon that always come up to me and said, I need your help. Can you help me with something? And he would, of course he would help. And what he realized is that the person was training him to ask for help, role modeling that behavior and making a safe environment uh, for people to speak up and to uh, ask for what they needed. And he was really quite a, you know, a role model of that. In fact, I give you another example, which is uh, Dr. Salort uh, Pons, who is the uh, CEO and director of the uh, Detroit Institute of Arts. And uh, he told me that when he became the director, the CEO, that he really startled everyone because he would, he would always make requests. And I think he put it really well. He said, you know, it's a real leadership moment when you make a request of somebody that you work with. You know, it creates a leadership moment for them and it's an opportunity to co-create a solution. And I think that's a real positive act of leadership. So you guys have uh, taken the next step with this, which is to uh, essentially, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you, you've turned it into an application that you could sell to corporations and to, to facilitate teams uh, asking each other for help. Because as you've just mentioned, there's so much evidence in both leadership and in effectiveness and in productivity that asking for help has benefits. And often, which is the reason why you wrote this book, often people have a hard time asking or getting out of that shell or feeling comfortable, whether they're leaders or employees. So what's, tell me about Givitas and, and the reciprocity ring, which is, which is part of it and, and what you guys are doing. Yeah. Um, I'll start, give a little bit of the history of it. And then Adam, if you wouldn't mind in adding some more as well. Um, yeah. So the, so Cheryl Baker and I created the reciprocity ring 
20 years ago, almost uh, to the day. And it's a group activity. It's going to sound very simple, but there's a real recipe. So we train people how to use it. But essentially, it's an opportunity for people to make a request for something that they need, and they spend most of their time helping other people meet the request. And it creates what we call generalized reciprocity. Uh, so direct reciprocity, oh, James, I help you, you help me, which is great. We'd want that to happen. But generalized is that, you know, Adam helps me, and I feel grateful and I pay it forward and I help you. And so we found in the reciprocity ring that 85% of what happens is that indirect form. So the people you help are not the people who helped you. But people have to be in the same place at the same time for this to happen. And over the years, we were always asked, uh, can you digitize this? Can you make a technology where we don't have to be in the same place at the same time? And we can have much larger groups. I, I don't understand. Why do you have to be in the same place at the same time? Oh, for the reciprocity ring, it's a group activity, like a team activity. I see. So uh, everybody people... knows that you paid it forward. No. Oh, wait. we haven't gotten to the technology yet. Okay. The, um, the reciprocity ring happens in real time, in small groups who are all gathered together in the same physical space. And so they're, they're like a little group together, uh, usually in groups of 24 that we do it, and people will make a request to the entire group, to the other 23. Um, the other 23 will think about how they can help. They have the answer or they can tap their external network, and people go around and make the request um, uh, that, that they have. So people are requesting, and later on, when you see who you helped and who helped you, you see it's really often very different people. But again, it's a face-to-face -face activity. So now take that idea. So so it is, it is, it's synchronous. You have to be in the same place at the same time for this to actually work. Um, so the idea with the digital version is that you could take that same idea of the reciprocity ring. You could take those principles and create a an application, a platform, or even an app that would enable people to do the same thing. But because you're doing it through your smartphone or your computer, you don't have to be in the same place at the same time. Uh, you could be anywhere in the world. So uh, we have groups now that are, you know, of you know a couple of thousand people. We have a number of these different communities that uh, that have been established, and, um, and it's really quite amazing. And you know, a lot of these people don't know each other. They may have some affinity. Um, they might be in the group because they're all HR directors or HR managers, um, but people will make some pretty big requests and amazing how generous people are responding to those requests. So that's it. Yeah. So the reciprocity ring is a face-to-face -face activity for small groups. And then the Givitas is the digital version for much, much larger groups. Adam, what would you add? Well, I, I would say, you know, I, f I first learned about this when I saw Wayne do the reciprocity ring live. I think it was 2006. And I was just floored by a few things that I saw happen. The first one was that so many of the people in the room, uh, I think this was a group of an executives, uh, excuse me, a group of executives the first time I saw it, so many of them, when they had to make a request, had not given a moment's thought to what they might want or need. And it was, it was tough for them to even figure out, well, what, what in the world would I ask for? And that, I thought that was, a, that was just a powerful thing to watch. And then the next thing that happened was uh, people were able to get help on the most unusual range of requests. Uh, you know, Wayne has these great exam examples like the Bengal Tiger, uh, which, which I'm a huge fan of, or the, uh, the PCS Alkaloid, uh, which he can go into. But 
I, I was just stunned at, you know, the you, you hear these requests and think there's no way anybody in this room could do anything to help them. And the vast majority of the people got multiple offers, you know, from people who thought they could help. And then, you know, there was, there was real follow-up afterward. And so it was almost like, uh, it was almost like watching people, uh, they'd, they'd sort of come clean about some of their biggest dreams that they hadn't shared with, with other people. Uh, and then they got support sometimes from friends and colleagues who never even knew what they were, they were after. In other cases, from complete strangers so wait, who were happy to help. What was, did someone want like a Bengal tiger as a pet? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can provide some details on that one. Um, let me pick up first on a, on a, a point that Adam made. Um, is that you know early on, um, I used to give uh, what I've come to think of as kind of my Adam speech when I would introduce the reciprocity ring, and I would say I'd really emphasize the importance of generosity of being a selfless giver. And what I found was that, like Adam was saying, is that that was rarely ever the problem. And so over time I had to switch and that was really the beginning of the book um, is that I had to switch to really emphasize the requesting part, you know, that there's a giving receiving cycle, but it's requests that really drive the whole process. Um, and so I really had to focus a lot more on getting people to ask because I knew the generosity would follow. Mm. Right? Um, yeah, so the Bengal Tiger, that was one of the early ones. I was running the reciprocity ring in executive education uh, in one of our programs here at the Ross School of Business at Michigan. Um, and people, I, I had enough time I could run two rounds so people could make two requests. And in the first round, it's something personal related to your family, community, hobby, whatever it might be. Uh, and the other one is work-related. That would be the second round. And in the first round, we had a banker from New Delhi, India, who had traveled all the way to come to this program. And he made this impassioned plea. Um, he said that he was a naturalist and he had done all these things. And his bucket list item was to see a Bengal tiger in the wild. And this was early on with the reciprocity ring. So I figured this person's getting no help. And I was getting a little anxious uh, about it. And I was totally amazed. I mean, no one lived on a continent that had a Bengal tiger on it that wasn't in captivity. And yet this person got so much help. Somebody knew somebody who led safaris. Somebody knew somebody who owned a game preserve. And I was so curious about this. I stayed in touch with this, with this banker. And because of a connection that had been made in the reciprocity ring, um, in Ann Arbor, he was in the right place at the right time to finally see a Bengal tiger in the wild. And that's when I started to see two things, that it's the request that really drives the whole process. And you never know what people know or who they know until you ask. You know, that's why there's a, there's a lot of evidence that when you are looking for a job, it's not your connection. It's not your first degree connections that find you the job. It's usually your second degree connections that find you the job, uh, meaning the, the friends of friends say who, who help you find a job, which makes sense because exponentially there's going to be a lot more of those, but also is a little bit counterintuitive because you expect your friends to be the more, the direct, that's the first instinctive response, but it, it turns out it's the friends of friends. Right. Well, you should, you should always ask your friends and your colleagues. Um, uh, but if it's a close friend, that means that your networks overlap quite a bit. Hmm. It's those indirect connections where your networks don't overlap as much. And as the further you go out and say those concentric rings, two and three, four degrees of separation, it's different worlds. And what the connections do 
with the really conduit to a different network and that's where the information is whether it's a new job or job opportunity whether it's a resource that you need whatever it might be information knowledge even advice so that's why it's important to uh to think in network terms not just your 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 close circle of friends and colleagues when you make an ask so um you've you've launched this how's it how's it oh you know i meant to ask also is it have you used this with like local governments because it seems this would be an amazing opportunity for very bureaucratic often very siloed local governments where the different silos have a hard time communicating seems like this would be a very effective uh application for them to use digitally Yes, uh, I think it would be. We haven't done any local governments, uh, but the problem that you described, a siloed organization, that, occur, that occurs almost anywhere. And the uh, Givitas is a real silo buster. As long as you have people from the different silos that are in the Givitas network or the Givitas community. Um, so it's starting to be used by a lot of different associations. You know, associations have people from all over, different organizations, different companies, different industries sometimes. And but they have something in common, like they, they're all HR directors or they're all you know, finance experts, so they're all whatever. And um, they can give and get a lot of help from one another. Now, for example, is that if you're, a, if you're an HR director in one company and you've run into a problem that is unique to you, it's probably been solved someplace else, right? And by using Givitas and reaching thousands of other HR directors, what we're finding is that, oh yeah, there's three solutions to that problem, a unique problem, a novel problem for you, but other people have already solved it. That's that's the power of the network. It's the power of the ask when you have that broad and diverse network. It's interesting because, and, I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead, Adam. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, one of, one of the things that Wayne opened my eyes to when uh, when I was, I was first watching him do the reciprocity ring that I think has, has really scaled up in Givitas is you know, not only are, are people hesitant to ask, um, not only do we know that if they overcome that barrier of asking, um, then the vast majority of moments of help and generosity happen in response to a request, not an offer. But we also know that when people, go, when they overcome that barrier, when they make the ask, they tend to, to go to those people that they know well and trust. And that means, you know, they are going to those closest ties with the, with the redundant knowledge like Wayne was talking about. It also means that they tend to seek out the person who's most available or accessible to them, as opposed to the, the best expert or the most connected colleague that they have. And I think one of the things that's, that's been amazing to see in Givitas is you bring together a group of people who have, you know, maybe some common goals or backgrounds or experiences, but wildly different knowledge and connections. And so it immediately puts you in touch with the person who's best able to answer your question or who's able to open the door to a different community that you didn't even know existed. And I think the, you know, the potential there to me is tremendously exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, I, this, this reminded me of the conversation. I had a podcast recently with Eric Adams, who's the Brooklyn borough president. And he's also the front runner for the next, uh, mayor of New York, uh, that, uh, that election. And, uh, you know, Brooklyn, I don't know if you know this, would be the, if all the boroughs of, of New York City were cities, Brooklyn would be the third largest city in the United States after LA and Chicago. And he was describing problems that kind of, you know, that he's been solving or or problems that he can't solve because they're all throughout New York City that remind me of some of these problems you're encountering that, that Givitas solves. 
So it's it's interesting, you know, translating this into into you know, the bureaucracy of government. Uh-huh. Well, it it also makes me think. I've I've heard from a couple of uh, a couple of congressmen that one of the reasons uh, we face such a divide uh, in Washington today is uh, is high speed transportation. Hmm. That when it was much more difficult to travel cross country, people would you know they'd they'd head over from Washington or California, and they'd basically be they'd be stuck there for four or five days, and so they'd have meals together, they'd get to know each other, uh, they'd bond, and then they'd end up helping each other. Uh, and it was a lot easier then to get things done. And now, you know, people fly in, uh, they go to a session, and they they fly back, and this doesn't happen. And so I think what we ought to do is we ought to make the House and the Senate go through give a toss and uh, see what happens after they've helped each other. I'd, I'd vote ah. for that. It sounds like a good plan. <laughs> that, that's a wonderful plan. What a great idea. You know, and I would say if if we actually ran that experiment, I would put a couple of types of requests off limits. Uh, no requests, <laughs> n- no requests that are political, uh, no requests related to your work. I would have them all focus on personal requests, ah. requests related to their families, um, re- to their hobbies, to if they're involved in a religious or spiritual organization or something like that, but just personal stuff. And I've seen, I've seen the most acrimonious relationships break down when you get people to really just focus on sharing those things, um, you know, their dreams or aspirations, but not about their work, right? Their families, where they grew up, all that stuff. And what people invariably discover is that they have a lot of common and they have this common humanity. Um, and that really, really breaks down uh, the, the barriers and provide the foundation for then future cooperation. Well, this reminds me of the, and and maybe Adam, you you might have mentioned this in in give and take. I, I forget, but the the Benjamin Franklin technique, where he um he had an enemy in the Pennsylvania you know state legislature or the state senate, and he asked that this guy always you know would would argue with Benjamin Franklin and vote against him and and so on. So Benjamin Franklin one time went up to him and said, "Hey, I hear you have a great book collection. Can I borrow X Y Z book?" And the guy was surprised a little bit. He said, sure, you could take this book. Benjamin Franklin took it. A week later, he gave it back. And forever after, that guy who we had asked for help from, you know, borrowing this book, that guy was his ally rather than his enemy, which is interesting. Okay, so let, let's let's pause on that for a second because that's a great counterpoint, James, to your earlier concern that sometimes asking hurts. In yeah. this case, it helped. Um, Wayne, I, I'm curious, since you've you've studied this pretty extensively, What's your sense of of why that worked? Was it was it the pride that the adversary felt in owning the rare book? Was it you know was it Benjamin Franklin you know sort of admitting that you know that he wasn't better than him? How, how would you analyze that? You know, I read uh, an account by a psychologist who said that it was what Franklin was doing was demonstrating an affiliative motive, the desire for a more positive connection in the ask. And that was the reason why uh, it was received and helped to transform their their relationship. Um, and I, I think that makes sense, you know, is that, you know, oftentimes, you know, if you don't think about a transaction, you think about when you're asking someone, it's part of a relationship. And when you go to that person, you're saying that you, um, you know, you Adam, you talked before about uh, if you go to someone, ask them for advice, um, and it raises their perceptions of your competence because they say, because you're smart enough to come to me for advice. 
think the same sort of thing here, you know, is that this person had something that Franklin would, that Franklin valued. Uh, he was able to help out and, um, you know, inferred that Franklin wanted a more positive connection with him. Uh, and maybe because Franklin also demonstrated a little vulnerability by putting himself out there making this request. Um, in fact, I remember a, I remember a student uh, here at Michigan who was in student government and an undergraduate, a senior, and he was explaining to me about this huge conflict that he was having with someone else in student government. And, and I said, I don't know what, I said, why don't you think about something that you could share with that person that might be helpful, something that you could just offer that person like, and I said, maybe read something that, you know, what this person's interests are, you could share it with that person. And he tried it out and he came back in amazement. And he said, he said, you know, when I did that, it's like the animosity kind of melted away. And it was like, I guess she figured that I was thinking about her and I did something positive for her that maybe I have that affiliative mo uh, motive. Mm -hmm. So a little bit different than the Franklin effect, but I think it's that same thing. So, so this this does bring me back to the my original my personal fears of asking like let's say, you know, I I I'm writing a book and I want some someone I vaguely know or or as a connection of a connection to who's someone who's let's say super famous to write the forward and, it, you know, I can I can use the the smart tools you know be specific meaningful and so on. But I feel like there's an extra something I need to do. Like I have to, I have to make sure it corresponds to their agenda somehow, so that or or their vision of the world, so that and show that it corresponds with mine in a way that's going to move us both forward. If they write the forward of my book, you know, I, I'm I'm not thinking of a specific example. That's like a made up example. But that type of ask, where it's going to require time and thought from them, and I really have to be persuasive in my ask. And, and by the way, asking something like that scares the hell out of me. Like, I, I hate it. I'm so afraid of it. Well, so, so James, I think we have an experiment you need to run then. Yeah. Well, how can I, exper try how, it can, out. how can I experiment in safe ways? Well, I would use the, the smart criteria and to really, you know, it takes some time to answer every one of those uh, those items, you know? What is it specifically I need? Why is this meaningful, not only to me, but to the other person uh, and so forth? Um, and I think that would be, that will take you uh, far down the road and figure out how to make an effective uh, request, but also being sensitive to the other person in terms of their time and their commitments. When's a good time to ask? When's not a good time to ask? Some people like to be asked in an email. Some prefer face-to-face. Um, you know, to be sensitive to all that is also showing respect for the person. Uh, and, and then again, that it's a, a request is simply a request. It's not a demand. Um, how, and then how, remind yourself. Yes, go ahead. Well, how do you determine, how, how do you determine, you know, what's the right sensitivity? So, you know, when do they like to be asked and, uh, you know, these other things like, and again, I feel like I, I, I and maybe I'm mistaken, but I feel like I have to be overboard on what, how this helps their own agenda. So it doesn't even feel as much like an ask. Yeah. I don't think you have to be overboard. I think you have to be genuine and authentic, you know, while you want to be intentional about it, but you also want to do it in a, in the positive spirit, you know, that this is part of, I don't know. I think about part of it is it's participating in life, right? Giving and getting help. Um, and that making your request is, 
maybe giving this person a chance to, um, you know, to do something that's meaningful to them as well. And then if you do get turned down, um, to just take it for that. It's, it's just, you know, it's just that. It doesn't mean anything beyond that, um, that you got turned down. Yeah, I think that's it too. I think being able to handle uh, rejection is, is part of it as well. Uh, well, you know, you guys, this book has been so, a- asking in general is so hard for me. Like you had an example earlier where, uh, you know, sometimes you don't even like, like you don't even know what, if someone asks you, what do you need? You've never asked for anything. You don't even know what you need. It's you've blanked it out so much because you're so either afraid of asking or you never ask, or you feel it's inappropriate to ask. Uh, I think I fall a little bit into that category and this book's incredibly useful in terms of developing the tools for something that's so difficult. Like asking is sort of up there with public speaking in terms of the fears people have in life. Like, you know, and again, the uh, basic example is asking for a promotion or, you know, something like that or a raise. It's just so difficult for people. They have to like spend months getting the courage up. And I think this provides really an, an outline of the, the tools where if you just think in these tools and really, like you say, thoughtfully go over all the criteria and, and even write it down and practice it. This is, this is going to be so useful. I know for, for my life. And you also have this, um, a section later on, which I encourage people to read also about, uh, uh, uh what you do in, in the times you make mistakes and how you deal with those. I, I, I really appreciated that section. And it reminded me of, uh, the book extreme ownership by Jocko Willink. Uh, but anyway, I highly recommend all you have to do is ask, how to, which in subtitles, how to master the most important skill for success by Wayne Baker and Adam Grant. Also, thank you for, for being on this podcast, author of give and take and originals and, and option B such, such great and game changing books. And both of you, uh, good luck on give it toss and, and the reciprocity ring. And Adam, I'm glad to see you be being involved in entrepreneurship, your whole story and originals about how you didn't get involved in Warby Parker, uh, kind of showed you had this, this desire to, to get out there and, and sell something. Thanks for the reminder. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm grateful to be involved in Givitas. I think the, the work that Wayne has done is brilliant. And the idea that if we could connect more people who need help with, you know, with, with colleagues and, you know, acquaintances and even strangers who are happy to give it, uh, that seems like a, a great way to make both asking and receiving easier. Yeah, this is so interesting. And it's a good compliment, I think, to to give and take, which is why, Wayne, probably you referred to, to Adam and give and take quite a bit in, in the book. And, and, and Wayne, also, you know, just putting the math together in your stories, sounds like in the next few weeks is your 30th anniversary with Cheryl. So congratulations on that. What are you going to do for the 30th anniversary to top Emerald? Well, <laughs> that's, that's a good question. It's, it's a couple months from now. So, um, have some time to think about it, but, uh, this is a good reminder that I got to start thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't forget to ask. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And ask in advance, right? Yeah. Give myself, give myself enough time. So, uh, um, well, this has been wonderful. I've really appreciated, uh, this opportunity. It's, uh, I've enjoyed the conversation. Um, Adam, so great to be on with you and, uh, and to be working with you on uh, give it us and give and take and uh, James, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, you guys. And uh, hopefully we'll all talk soon. Thank you. To be continued. Thanks. Bye.